thank goodness, appropriate investments were made into the strategies to make new vaccines based on mRNA technology, which is historic and a milestone. And it's a celebration of the success of science and the human race. But it's not enough to say that, we are, that we're ready for the next pandemic. And we need to learn from that. And, and that is what I, I hope comes from this. Welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk, where some of the brightest minds in healthcare help us break down the latest news and developments. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, joined with my co-host, Chris Gazuski, and today our very special guest is Dr. Kevin Tracy, the president of the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research. We have a vaccine that's great news in this battle against COVID, but more needs to be done. Clinical research, hugely important right now. Why? The vaccine is an incredibly important step in, in defeating COVID, which, which we will do as a, as a, as a society, as, as scientists, as physicians, we, we will find solutions to this virus. And the vaccine is a critically important step. It's a mistake to think that it's the only solution. And the reason for that is that if you look at an, another disease like influenza, the vaccine's important in influenza, but, but not everybody is protected from every vaccine. And some people will still get sick. Some people may not get the vaccine for various reasons. And in those cases, for a disease like influenza, there are treatments that are quite effective if they're used in the first couple of days after infection. We need to be working now on COVID treatments for the exact same reason that we have them for the flu. COVID treatments can keep people out of the hospital. They can keep people from dying and they can keep the burden off of the healthcare system during surges. If we had effective treatments, especially those that could be used in the home. Yeah, I think uh, the what, what tends to get lost with vaccines is that, you know, the, the true intention, right? Some people look at it, oh, it's gonna prevent, I'm never gonna get this disease. When the true intention of a vaccine is really to keep you from dying, you know, some severe illness. You know, with that being said, you know, it makes it even cr more critically important to have therapies like a Tamiflu, something that can even lessen it if you do come down with, the, with whatever illness it is. Absolutely. And the, the good news about the COVID vaccines is over the, the overwhelming data to date indicates that the vaccines are protecting people from dying. So that's great. The bad news is, is that everybody doesn't have the vaccine yet and we still need therapies. And that right now has been the focus of our work at the Feinstein Institutes and at Northwell Health. We're, we're very much focused on understanding, are there generic drugs, are there generally uh, accepted as safe drugs that could be used today to be repurposed for COVID? Because that, if that's true, that would be an enormous opportunity. We don't have all the data yet, but we're, we're, we're studying that question. Yeah, I think it's really important too. I mean, once you come up with these therapies that you know that can help reduce symptoms, make people have a faster recovery, right? These are types of things um, that we're still gonna need because there's a lot that's going on with this virus and a lot that we don't know about it yet, right? It's mutating, there's different variants. So I guess to have those types of things is a must. It is a must. And so there's, there's two general ways of thinking about the therapies for a disease like a COVID. One would be a therapy that would specifically target the virus or the replication of the virus as it grows in, in your body. And if you think of another disease like HIV AIDS, the drugs that are available today for HIV, they stop the virus from replicating. Those drugs took many, many years to develop, but they're quite effective. So there is no vaccine for HIV, but the treatments are, are quite good. 
they're not perfect, but they're quite good. And and something like that for for COVID would be a major advance. Now we're not we're not there yet. There are there is a lot of work being done on drugs to stop the replication of COVID specific uh, COVID uh, therapies. Those are not broadly available, and those are being aggressively pursued by the pharmaceutical industry and the academic laboratories, and it should be. But the second way to, to think about treating COVID is to stop the body's inflammatory or immune response to the virus, which causes cytokine storm and causes damage to the organs and causes the excess clotting. And there we have opportunities to study the use of drugs that have been around for a long time. For example, dexamethasone is one drug that's been around for a long time and appears to be quite beneficial in some patients with COVID. But the list of other possible drugs is much longer. And studying those drugs and understanding how they might be useful in stopping the damaging inflammatory response to COVID, that's a, that's, that, in my view, we're not doing enough of that kind of work today. Yeah. So you want to talk about clinical research and, and how important it is and how people can get involved in that? Well, clinical, what we need to do are, are careful, randomized clinical trials with control, with controls, meaning people that don't get the drug compared to people who do get the drug. And that is extremely difficult to do in, uh, in, in, in the best of conditions. And it's much harder to do in a pandemic. So, so, so to the extent that we can lay out the problem and the opportunity, which is what are the drugs that are available today that are safe that we could give to a lot of people to potentially help them? We need to answer that question. Right now, we have um, a study going on looking at famotidine, which is the active ingredient in pepsid, the antacid. This is a, a drug which is essentially generic, meaning it's, it's manufactured by many, many companies under different names. It's cheap, it's safe, and there's um, historic evidence from um, the last year, historic from the last year, um, suggesting that patients who took famotidine in China uh, in Wuhan and patients who took famotidine in New York City, um, looking at thousands of patients, those who took famotidine were protected from hospitalization and death in a highly statistically significant way. However, neither of those studies was prospective, meaning they weren't designed to be uh, two groups of patients, one compared to the other. They were historic studies, meaning the data was being looked at from the past. Going forward, we are currently enrolling patients into a trial of famotidine uh, for people who are tested positive for COVID. They have a positive test. They have symptoms and they're not hospitalized, meaning they're sent home. Uh, we ship to their home an iPad, activity monitors, a pulse oximeter, and, and the entire study is done in, in the home comparing um, famotidine versus placebo. And neither the patient nor the Physicians at the time know which group is which. How's it going so far? It's going very, very well. We are doing this in collaboration with Cold Spring Harbor. It's being led by um, Christina Brennan at Northwell, by Tobias Janowitz at uh, Cold Spring Harbor, and by Joe Canigliero at Northwell. And it's been a Herculean effort to um, get this trial launched, but it's going very, very well. Are there any other medications that are in use? Currently in use, uh, for COVID? Currently, there's a number of medications that have received emergency use authorization by the FDA. And um, 
Let me just take a second and explain what that is. Sure. So emergency use authorization is uh, was a as a designation for permission to use drugs given by the FDA uh, in emergency situations like a global pandemic that we're living through. Uh, and 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 it's it's an emergency use authorization as opposed to a full authorization because there's not enough data to make an absolute determination. A number of drugs have received emergency use authorization. And that has actually made it very complicated to, to launch a new clinical trial. And why is that? Because everybody coming in who's very sick is getting all of the treatments. And so when you're going to add a, an additional treatment in a controlled way, it's very difficult to sort out which one's working? Which one's working? Yeah. Do you think that that maybe one silver lining in in this pandemic is that there is more of an emphasis on science? And, and do you see that this maybe can be a continuing trend in the new administration? I hope so. Um, I think in the new administration, you're seeing an embracing of science as a as a as a guidepost, as a as a as a source of information. To, to lead decision making and policy making, and I think that that's that's more than a silver lining. That's a that's a bright new day, and I, and I'm very excited about that. Um, I I am I am optimistic, but but remain unconvinced that we've really learned our lesson from this. And and what I mean by that is, for the last twenty to twenty five years, under both administrations in both parties. The U.S. government has failed to support investments in research through the federal government, through NIH, at a pace that even kept up with inflation. And, and that, to me, is unacceptable. And if, and if, and if, if we want to learn something from this epidemic, which was highly predicted by a number of us, a number of us wrote reports in the early 2000s that something exactly like this would happen. And in fact, one report that I participated in was based on a virus, a hypothetical virus that would have been 10 times more lethal than COVID, which is not that much, but just as infective. And today, had that virus been released instead of COVID, about half the United States would be dead by now. And most of the hospitals would have been shut down. And we would be living in a very different world that is still very possible. And that's the lesson we have to learn from this. And the lesson we have to learn from this is that we need to be investing today for what will come someday, and we need to be ready. Now, now, thank goodness, appropriate investments were made into the strategies to make new vaccines based on mRNA technology, which is exactly what we're, we, we have today in less than a year, which is historic and a milestone, and, and it's, a, it's a celebration of the success of science and the human race. But it's not enough to say that, we are, that we're ready for the next pandemic. And we need to learn from that. And, and that is what I, I hope comes from this. Uh, that's part of the lessons learned. Actually, one of the segments we do is called Up at Night. So clearly this is probably something that's keeping you up at night is, is um, poor or, or lack of government funding. What keeps me up at night is the discounting generally of the value of science in the United States. We have consistently made it more difficult for people to enter fields of science, to pursue scientific careers. And, and my, my, what keeps me up at night is thinking that when this happens next time, we won't have enough good scientists ready to respond. So how do we keep them? How do we fill that, that funnel? I think that the funnel has to be filled, first of all, by, by doing what, what, is, what is happening now that, that we just talked about. We have to, we have to accept science and let it, let it, let it inform policy. 
and let it inform the the, the decision making of of what's best in the best interest of society and not just our our our, our own country, but of the global society in the context of national security. If, if, if nothing else, COVID taught us that, that a, a viral pandemic is an issue of national security. So that, that's number one. Number two, we, we, have, to, we have to invest in, in science so that we can train more scientists in, in the fields of research and medicine and support their career development so that the, we'll be ready for the next time with, with fresh faces and, and, and young people inspired to do the right thing. Is this a problem uh, just in this country that there's not enough uh, people, you know, being involved in spending the resources and the money and and doing the investigative work? So it's a it's I think we're the United States now is having a particularly acute problem with this. Um, for many years, it was a, uh, a poorly kept public secret that major universities uh, and research institutes like the Feinstein Institutes were heavily reliant on. Um, foreign medical graduates and foreign postdoc trained, many from Asia and China, to come into our laboratories and and provide the pipeline of of future scientists, and and that's what we did. And in 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 the last few years, with the with the various trade embargoes and 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 employment restrictions to Asia, we are feeling a major deficit on that uh, on that source of of. of Future scientists and and the the United the United States is not training homegrown scientists at a pace to keep up. Other countries have done a better job, and to to a country, the countries that have done the best jobs are the ones that have spent the most money on their research programs nationally, and that's where the United States has fallen behind. Um, so it sounds like we're going to start trending in the right direction here, hopefully. That's my hope. I don't know. I think yeah. it remains to be seen. I mean, w one analogy I think is quite apt is, is Sputnik. Uh, the first one, uh, the, the satellite that was launched uh, a few months before I was born. And, and, and that, that satellite terrified um, the U.S. military uh, because they were unprepared for Russia to have that capability. It terrified the average citizen who was confused by the news reports that perhaps Sputnik could drop a nuclear weapon on Milwaukee. And it was and it was terrified by the and and it scared people in 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 international policy because again they were unprepared. So um, FDR made the very wise um, decision to invest in science to be prepared, and that essentially spawned the generation we're living in now. It spawned uh, the growth of NIH. It spawned the growth of Silicon Valley. It spawned the, the development of NASA and space travel. And frankly, that, that was a wake-up call. And what I hope and pray now is that this COVID pandemic is a wake-up call to the United States investment in science and, 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 our, and our infrastructure and, and our future. Yeah, certainly yeah. a rude awakening. I mean, yeah, I think it has to be a, a, a big wake-up call. And another thing uh, I think that we could look at as, as being positive, too, is the partnerships. And one of the things, too, that helped us get to this vaccine, that there were so many people coordinating research together. People can share research through Zoom in other countries. And I guess that partnership, and that's maybe something that can help propel, you know, us in this country. Absolutely. I, I think one of my favorite definitions of research is research is the process of going up alleys to see if they are blind. And you, you can't make a business out of research. There's a, there's a difference between the research that, that led to 
the hard, the hard, the eight or 10 years of research at many centers, but much at the NIH and, and, and much at, at companies um, that led to the ability to make mRNA vaccines. And thank goodness that that research, which was looking around to see if it was even possible to do this, thank goodness that research was going on and was being supported and happened to be ready when we needed it a, you know, a year ago. Mm. The development of the idea of the mRNA vaccine into an actual vaccine, I mean, there's some amazing, there's some amazing um, stories about this, but once the, once the sequence was published of the, uh, of the, the, the viral genome, uh, a computer model after a few hours made models of all the proteins and a few, with a few hours of work, the investigators who had spent 10 years working on mRNA vaccines within a few hours scripted out the first mRNA vaccine. And that is amazing. It's amazing. So, so they're an overnight success after 10 hours, 10 years of work. Right. And, and, the, that's, and the point is, is that 10 years of work by hundreds of people cost millions and millions of dollars. But how do you put a price on what it's worth today? And that's the investment we have to be making now at the federal level. We can't sit back and say the pharma industry will make those investments. They don't. Research and development and marketing are three different aspects of the continuum of going from a discovery to making it into a product to selling it. Pharma has the development and marketing covered quite well. They still, they still in license most of the actual technologies and molecules that they later develop and sell. So we need to, as a, the, 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 the country, the federal government has to double or triple down its investments into the basic invention process, which is the science, to catch up for the last 20 years of not keeping up with inflation. I can't stress that point enough. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, so did, when we received that genetic sequence from Wuhan, did that did that accelerate any any treatment research or any any other medic anything we were looking at? Um, so that that structural information on the virus will provide clues into how the virus replicates, which right. will hopefully provide the necessary tools to make replication inhibitors mm -hmm. um, as treatments. But I have not seen any announcements of of lead molecules yet. Th that, that, that takes That's time. Take time, right. Okay. What about somebody who's listening to this podcast and they say, I want to be a hero. I want to help out. I want to contribute to the positiveness that's going on with this. How do I get involved? How do I learn about a clinical research that might be able to, that I can do that I might be able to help? So, um, first of all, hats off to anyone who's thinking that way, because having new drugs, having new science, having new inventions, is only as good as having patients willing to participate in clinical trials and physicians willing to participate and run clinical trials to get these answers. So the, the patient and contribution to this is, is irreplaceable and it's invaluable. So um, at, at the highest level um, for any disease that any patient might be or their family member might be suffering, they can go to clinicaltrials.gov, which is a, a federal government website that lists all open clinical trials at any time in the United States. And you can search that by your, the disease that you're interested in. You can search it by the drug you're interested in. You can search it by the medical center you're interested in. And I would encourage anyone who's even partly curious about that to, to, to go to that website. Uh, if, if, if there's someone listening in the greater New York area and, and they're test positive for COVID, our 
we are currently enrolling, and they're sent home from the hospital, they're not admitted to the hospital, we're currently enrolling uh, into the trial of famotidine that we spoke about earlier, which is a, a generic drug which is sold under many brand names. One of the brand names is Pepsin. And we're testing whether famotidine might be effective in, in patients treated at home uh, for COVID. If, if they're uh, unfortunately have to be admitted to the hospital for COVID, we have other clinical trials open as well. To get in, uh, involved in that famotidine trial, I think it's clinical trials at northwell.edu. Just send an email. Well, we're at the end of our 20 minute health talk. Dr. Kevin Tracy, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. And for everybody who tuned in, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.